the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Larry Weedy Kind. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host today. My name is Heather Mosier, um, and I'm really excited to be here. Uh, Larry's asked me to fill in in his place. He's away on business, and I represent Matthew's Hope Detox. We're inside the St. Joseph's Hospital downtown in downtown Houston. Uh, I'm the recovery support team lead, and we try to help a lot of people suffer suffering with uh, drug and alcoholism. So I have a special guest today. Um, he's also the same guest I had last week. <laughs> it's my husband, Donnie. Hello. Back again. Hello. Uh, we ran out of time last week, and yeah. there was some important things that I think you and I both wanted to talk about, um, and um, we ran out of time. It went really fast, and evidently I pontificate longly. You, you talk a little slow for my liking, <laughs> and so I'd like you to pick it up this week. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. <laughs> but yeah, so one thing that we barely got to touch on last week that I want us to take our time talking about is your experience with IASIS. Mm, yes, definitely. Because I have, so first of all, let me explain what is IASIS. IASIS is a microcurrent neurofeedback. Uh, it's a modality of wellness that helps people alleviate all sorts of symptoms. Uh, we use it in our detox for everybody once a day that is convalescing, that is recovering from drug or alcoholism and trying to get that out of their system, what it does is it bathes your brain in energy. Um, it's a very, very light current. You cannot feel it. It doesn't hurt. It is nothing like electroshock therapy. <laughs> I know when I first explain it, some people are like, wait, what? Um, but it helps with all sorts of things, whether your body is not producing endorphins when you're coming off of drugs and alcohol, and that's why we use it. It tricks your brain into producing endorphins, dopamine, you know, serotonin, without the use of chemicals. And so I get to see people change and, and heal dramatically quick in this detox. But I remember when I first started working there, and I'm hearing about this, I'm like, what's the catch? <laughs> what is when, this? When you first told me about it, I did not believe you. Yeah. I, I thought it was like some mystic wizardry or something <laughs> There's just no way that, you know. Yeah. So they sent me to go be trained by the doctor who created it. Um, and I've worked at Matthew Soap for since November of last year. So month after month after month, I've seen these miracles. I've seen these people have these amazing experiences with it. And so I'm coming home and I'm telling my husband, Di, I'm like, you should really look into this. Because uh, my husband has a lot of the issues that one might go and get ISIS for. Well, you told me several times, but as any good husband, I did not listen. <laughs> right. Because I was coming home and I was saying it all wrong. I was explaining to you that you're really fragile and I'm hearty. And, and I'm a manly man, so I knew you were lying immediately. <laughs> right. There's just no way. And so um, there's these measures of reactivity, and it's really a measure of how reactive your body is to the world around you. Oh, and I react to 
everything. everything. Oh my gosh. Like you can't have a cup of coffee past 5 p.m. If I had a cuff, cup of coffee today on a Tuesday past 5 p.m., I'll be late for a meeting on Thursday. I won't <laughs> and I've sleep. seen that be true for you. I've seen you have a cup of coffee at 6 p.m. at a meeting or something, and you cannot go to sleep all night. And I'm right. like, this is crazy town. Other sunlight. Things, sunlight. I, mean, I have to wear sunglasses or my eyes water and I can't even mm-hmm. function. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have food, we have sunlight, just everything. I react to everything. It, it turns out I may be, what was that word again? Fragile. Yeah, it's a lie. But anyways, yeah, so, I do fit the mold. <laughs> so the scale is super fragile to super hardy and I fall on the super hardy scale where nothing affects me. And so uh, Donnie jokes and you know says that's because I'm dead inside. I'm really not. I love people. I, I love life. But I don't react to... Dead inside. I'm not. I don't react to the world the same he does. And right. I wanted him to do it particularly because of his struggle with tinnitus. So, Donnie, oh, yeah. you had like some sort of diving, flying mistake years ago. Uh, evidently, you're not supposed to fly uh, within 24 hours of diving, scuba diving. Okay. And so I did. Oh, okay. I wanted to test that theory. <laughs> After this is before I got sober. After a drunken scuba diving incident, I immediately got on a plane and, and so damaged you have my hearing. Permanent ringing in your ears from that great decision. Seven, yeah. And so, I was told that this could uh, help that, and I'm like, Donnie, please go, please go try mm-hmm. it. And uh, and so I poked and prodded you uh, for I don't know two or three months. And I finally said, what the heck? I will try this. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm so glad that you did, Sue. He went on his first um, IASIS session at our outpatient clinic. We do it in the hospital uh, for the clients in the detox every day. But we also have an outpatient clinic uh, and and a technician that does it for the outpatient. And I'll give you the name and phone number for who you can call if if our listeners would like to try this themselves and see what it's all about. And I just want to clarify too it's it's i assist because at first i thought you were asking me to go to isis which was really weird <laughs> i didn't think i needed to join that organization but it is yeah. i assist i a s i s so i go to the outpatient and i meet this young lady named Brittany who mm-hmm. is there are certain people that were just put on this earth to help others and she has that demeanor she's kind compassionate so helpful and she knows Iasis. Yeah. Literally, you tell her, this is what's plaguing me, and she's going to move these things around different sight pairs on your head yep. and go after it. And I just want to say that, like, the biggest things that I have seen from this, you know, being sober eight years, I have done a lot of work in the fellowship that we're in. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things that have not gone away. For one thing is my intensity. Yeah. I'm just an intense guy. Yeah. Uh, it's just who I am. Uh, you know that. Like, how I does do. a typical discussion go between you and I <laughs> prior to ISIS? Prior to ISIS, if I try to enter a conversation with you and you have a strong opinion about whatever the topic is, I'm going to have to cave and just let you win the conversation. Well, I dominate you. You, you will dominate. Cut you off. Uh-huh. And Absolutely. It, and and it is. Um, it's such an aggressive intense personality trait. It's like a verbal wrestling move. I just pin <laughs> you to the mat until I win. And, and then we're so done. even though I'm quite an alpha dominant personality too, I just don't want to dance that dance and do that tango. One of the first things that I noticed is I come out of the appointment and I get on the freeway and I'm a, I'm a frequent road rager. Yeah. And I suddenly didn't care where I was in traffic, who was in front of me. I, I felt so calm. So when I was at work after you got your session, you texted me and We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk exactly about what Donnie experienced after his first IASA session. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back to Relevant Recovery Radio. 
KPRC Houston and iHeart Radio Station. This is KPRC 950. Real Texas, real talk. The real thing. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher, and my guest on the show today, again, is my husband, Donnie. Hello, Donnie. The husband, hello. <laughs> the husband. So we were talking before the break about your first you finally went and got ISIS. And if, if our audience would like to look that up, you can go to isistech.com and there's all sorts of informative videos about it. Uh, so, Donnie, you texted me right on your way home. Well, because here's the weird thing is that I'm a through, – through the 12-step program we're in, I am a pretty connect – I consider myself pretty connected to God. Like I, I stay pretty calm when there's calamity, right, in pressure situations when life takes a dip. But this intensity wouldn't leave me. So I leave this first appointment, and the first thing I notice is I get on the freeway, and I'm smiling, and I can't stop smiling, which is ridiculous. I remember you texted me a specific word that you felt. Oh, euphoric. I did. I felt euphoric, which was weird. It was, And you were eight years sober, but all the clients that I've been helping at the detox would use that same sort of language. And, And I never told you that. Right. And that was so powerful. I was like, this cannot be a placebo. I didn't tell you that part. I knew you had had a legitimate experience, and and it changed you so much. Well, the intensity level, I remember, and the, the first thing that I truly remember kind of putting it to the test, it was something we noticed afterward. We were in the car. I think we were having a Bible discussion or something like that where we're kind of going back and forth about our idea around something. Yeah. And I remember sitting, listening to your idea, and actually thinking about what you were saying, and I went... Oh, side note, this is new. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were like, you're wrong. Here's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't uh, thinking about what I was going to say next. I wasn't dominating. Yeah. I was literally listening to you and kind of taking it in and then stating what I felt. And we went back and forth, and it was really, really cool. Yeah, I, I've definitely noticed that even though our household, the way that we live our life, program-wise, spirituality-wise, um, there have been times where your intensity – uh, comes up in a sense where I almost feel like I'm on eggshells every once in a while, mm-hmm. where it's like, man, you're in that one weird mood. Mm-hmm. And even though I know you love God and you're living your life for God, I've really watched ISIS change you in a way where you can actually just enter that conversation with me. You're able to say, hey, I'm having a really hard day. Maybe we talk about this later. Yeah. You didn't have that ability before, and it's beautiful. No, I threw cookies. You threw cookies, and we there, ended there up in therapy. Been, yeah, there might have been a Christmas incident where <laughs> I, I threw a box of cookies across the room and then a water bottle. Threw, and, so this was like uh, three and a half years. We were still dating, I think. Um, yeah, it was right before we got married. Right before we got married. Um, and I remember we had both had a hard day, and instead of coming back together at the end of the day and unpacking that and talking about it, I think I rolled my eyes at you. Oh, that was like, you might as well just stab me in the face. <laughs> and and you lost it. Yeah. And you threw our box of Christmas cookies from your parents. Those cookies had it coming. <laughs> Let's be honest. And I'm like, we need therapy. <laughs> and thank God we did this before COVID yeah, because yeah. then we were locked up yeah. for a year. And so actually we had a really great experience through that couples counselor. And mm-hmm. he taught us a lot of communication styles. Yeah. Which I started putting into practice about 10 sessions ago. <laughs> And I think that that's eliminated a lot of our our stuff that I I didn't have those skill sets before. Well, and and so I want to say that ISIS has literally helped me with a a list of things, right, in different degrees. Mm -hmm. But the two biggest for me is one, my intensity. I'm a lot more calm. I listen more, a lot less opinionated. 
And the second one is food. I've struggled with food my whole life. Yeah. Like it's just been an up and down battle. When I got sober, I was 340 pounds. Now, mm-hmm. Today I'm around 2220. I'm not going to tell you the exact weight because you'll throw it at me later. But that's, you know, <laughs> that area. Not. I think that that I've watched you struggle. I've never lived with anybody that struggled with food. Uh, the way that I've seen you, you know, some people say, oh, I'm addicted to carbs or, oh, I love ice cream or I'd never seen the level of powerlessness like I experienced with drugs and alcohol. I'd never seen somebody have that with food. Pile of sugar, pile of cocaine. I don't see a difference. And they're the same to you yeah. as far as the danger, right. the toxicity, the way right. it'll ruin your life and your health. Like a pile of cocaine and a pile of sugar is equally as damaging to you. I did some healthy eating last year. It, it, was, it was good. We were locked up. We were locked yeah. up in lockdown in COVID. We're cooking every day, three meals a day, all of that. And I did it and it was great. But then coming into this year, I had trouble yeah. getting back into it. Once I started IASIS and it really started to sink in, I have the ability to make the right choices. Mm-hmm. I don't have the obsession that I had for this food. It's just, it's almost like it's relaxed a little bit. I still have the trouble, but not near the degree. Right. And that's one thing that they teach you about ISIS. It calms the central nervous system. Mm, I can see that. And if anybody needs central nervous system calming, (laughs) it's people like me and you, right? Right. And I've just seen what a miracle it's created in you because... You did struggle with the food for so long, and you I see you work really hard trying to make good choices yourself, but also rely on God to help you as well and give you yep. power that you don't have, but to still see it struggle. And then we added the ISSN into the mix. And now when we go out of town or we have you know special family visits and we kind of go off our healthy lifestyle you know, choices, you can get right back into it as soon as Monday comes, as soon as the family leaves. It's a lot easier for it's sure. It's a lot easier. I just, I, I watch. Food still happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. but I just think it's amazing. I encourage anyone who struggles with, with food or anxiety or depression or uh, tinnitus, like there's just a laundry list of things that ISIS may benefit you with and Absolutely. you won't know until you try it. And so I'm going to give amazed. you, I'm going to give you Brittany's phone number. This is our outpatient clinician for ISIS. Brittany's number is 346-980-980. 9495 346-980-9495 so cool I, I, I just want to see all these miracles uh, that like what I've seen with you and the clients at Matthew's Hope it's incredible well and I've referred a couple of guys that I sponsor or guys that are sort of in my circle and they're starting to have the same results yeah it's, it's really crazy so I would recommend it for anyone that has any sort of issue like what we're talking any about any ism any ism that's right any ism <laughs> I have all the isms so I was a good candidate. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people do it for like peak performance as well. I've heard Larry talk a lot about, you know, his tennis game uh, improving dramatically. And so whether it's sport or peak performance or uh, focus ability, I just think that people can uh, benefit no matter what. Just give it a try and see what it does for you. But let's spin to... We kind of already segued and talked about it, but marriage. <laughs> you, mm. We already talked about you throwing the box of cookies. <laughs> I mean, that's alleged. There were no witnesses in that room. I was a witness to oh, the box yeah. of cookies. But I, you know, I want to talk about, and what we didn't have a lot of time to talk about last time was two people in recovery uh, trying to live a recovered lifestyle and were married to each other. And we're both alpha dominant personalities. What is that like? <laughs> well, we live in a crazy house. <laughs> 
I don't think so. I think our house is fun yeah. and eccentric. It's um, definitely never the same. It's always exciting. <laughs> yeah. We always have people coming in and out almost on a daily basis. That's one thing when we moved in and we met our new neighbor. Um, th- for a specific reason, we, we, d- we were able to out ourselves that we're in recovery to this guy. Uh, and and we're like, so by the way, when you see a lot of cars coming and going, <laughs> we're, not from, drug dealers. we're not drug dealers. <laughs> and you'll see they stop by for an hour and a half, two hours. Drug dealers, it's like 15 minutes. Right. So just relax. And so we're like, we're not dealing drugs. These are people we're helping. And uh, I remember when my son was visiting with us, who he's fixing to move in with us, but my son is 15 and he spent five weeks with us recently. And he was meeting all these kids in the neighborhood, and they're coming over. And I told him, "Don't you don't have to tell people that your parents are in recovery unless you want to. But they might think that that's weird, or they might think that we're different. Or not let the kids come over to the crazy drunk's house. <laughs> right, because they, they might not understand. When we say, hey, we're alcoholics, a lot of people think, oh, they actively drink. Right. What we mean is we're five and eight years removed from a drink or a drug. Uh, and he goes, it's okay, Mom. I think it's kind of cool. He says, I just tell people that you talk to them about God. Which is true. Kid didn't have to lie. That was so true. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's a perfect <laughs> that's a perfect uh, thing to say because we do. We spend a lot of time talking to others about God. Well, you know, you recently quit vaping. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and so I won't, I won't out your behavior on air. Um, <laughs> but what I will talk about is the kind of language that's used in our house that's hilarious is – I think the other day you were sort of snippy, and I was just like, ah, maybe you should call your sponsor about yeah. that, <laughs> which is also a stab at the same time. <laughs> Anyways, Donnie is complaining about me, so I think this is a fantastic time to take a commercial break. So we'll be right back <laughs> on Relevant Recovery Radio after this quick break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier, and my guest today, my husband, Donnie. Hi. Hello. So, uh, about this vaping business, before the commercial, (laughs) Donnie was teasing me around uh, my struggle. So, I smoked cigarettes for 22 years, and then I went to vaping, and I vaped for a year. And then I quit both, and I was nicotine-free for a year. And then you and I were on a beautiful balcony in South Padre Island, and you said, hey, babe, why don't I run to the store and get you one of them little flavored cigars? And I thought, that is a fantastic idea. Now, that wasn't a self-seeking thing <laughs> by me at all. It wasn't at all about, well, if you smell like cigar, you won't yell at me about smelling I like cigar. I hate the smell of cigars. And so, yeah, he was being totally self-centered in that moment. But I was, I didn't know what it was about to take us into. I was delusional, and I thought that that sounded like an okay thing to do. Uh, I don't like cigars. I'll puff on a cigar. But that ended up turning into a five or six black and mild cigar a day uh, for the next two or three months. And it was, I could not believe it. It it was, I experienced nicotine. My experience with nicotine is like yours with sugar Mm -hmm. and ours with alcohol, right? And I, I saw blatantly that I cannot control and enjoy it. I go overboard. You really do. I just want to side with you on that. So... Uh, in my grand ideas, I decided to go back to vaping, and I have vaped for more than a year now. It's about a little over a year mark. Yeah. And a doctor recently warned me and said I need to for X, Y, Z reasons. And I thought, okay, d- I'm done. Donnie's going to support me. Well, uh, he'll help me. This and that. This is where we figure out if you're a hard vapor or not, because <laughs> you've got the warning of a doctor. I got Let's the warning see of a the, doctor. The consequence will do it. Did it stop me? 
No. Not for two days. <laughs> it didn't. I'm negotiating with Donnie, and I'm, I'm threatening that I'm going to go just buy another disposable vape if he doesn't give me my old vape back. And so, like, I cave Friday, I cave Saturday, I cave Sunday. Now, Sunday... That was a good reason. I went skydiving. On purpose, which is weird. I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane, and when I hit the ground, and I was still alive on my feet... Uh, it, the adrenaline rush of, of was so amazing. I'm like, I got to have a cigarette. How crazy is that? It's not. And so I did. And yeah. then I felt really guilty and I'm texting you, <laughs> telling on myself. But that's how I know that I am not a normal person. That's how I know that I cannot control and enjoy. I'm not the kind of person, neither you, that can titrate down. We do things to extreme yeah. And so like a normal person that's trying to quit nicotine or a normal person that's drinking too much and trying to quit drinking, the doctor will say, cool, wean yourself off. <laughs> Have less each day yeah. until you're <laughs> people like you and me, that doesn't compute. Right. Ask me to do magic. That would be easier. <laughs> and so I finally just, you know, people are like, did you quit cold turkey? Well, I had to. I had to get, give all my stuff to Donnie. He had to dispose of it and get rid of it. And I'm just really like hiding my bank card from myself. At this point, because I'm trying, I'm looking up uh, vapes that have what, no nicotine. What's funny is that we, and here's another discussion we have, is that we absolutely applied this higher power, this God of our own understanding to our drug and alcohol problem, yep. and miracle, boom, drug and alcohol gone. But I forget. But you know what? This smoking problem, probably too big for him. Let me just, <laughs> let me just cold I don't turkey. even rationalize it. I'm just like, God, thank you for keeping me recovered and taking away heroin and alcohol. I'm going to figure out how to quit smoking on my own. <laughs> You know, why do I do that? Why is that right. our default? Right. And then, and then, so then, you know, again, our weird conversations, I'm like, cool, why don't you apply God to that? Like you've applied it to other things. And it's a new revelation at that point. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to include God in yeah. this situation that I am yet again powerless over. Yeah. And so it starts with prayer and meditation and I'm asking God for help and I'm asking God to distract me. I'm asking God to keep me busy. In the meantime, I'm just laying in the fetal position, crying in the corner, hoping not to be hit again. <laughs> that is not true. I'm very kind to you. Well, for the most part, yes. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you some questions ar around that. You see other guys. You help a lot of guys. We mm -hmm. sponsor a lot of people. Um, what do you think is the most common reason someone doesn't get sober? Mm. I, I mean, the, the most common one that I see is I think that Okay, for you and I, the idea that I can ask this power, this God of my own understanding to help me, is, is, as, uh, is, is as plain as day for you and I to walk over and flip on a light switch. We know the light's going to come on. We know in our hearts that if I ask this power to help me, it'll help me. And I think that people have a lot of trouble with that. I think people, first of all, have trouble with <clears throat> they get into their old ideas, their old beliefs on what this word God may mean. Mm -hmm. They can't let that go. But I think it all has to do with a connection to the power. Yeah. A lack of. A lack of. They can't get it. They stop themselves. They just stay in their way. Right, right. And I would agree with you on that. And I know you coming into sobriety, recovery, you were an atheist. Absolutely. Militant. And so I think that that was your hang up for quite a while. I had old ideas that I couldn't get rid of. And I couldn't talk about this new idea without feeling like a fraud because I had been spouting 
what I was spouting for 20 years. And so how do you just make an about face and go, okay, I believe in God now. Right. Like, how do you do that? And I felt like a fraud. And mine was a reverse prejudice coming in because I grew up in church. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very religious household. I grew up in the Bible belt, right? I I knew the Bible. Uh, And then I have this crippling heroin addiction for four and a half years and I end up in a 12-step fellowship. And I'm thinking, what can you people teach me about God? Are you kidding me? I already know the, the book. Right. Well, I did, turns out I knew the book. I didn't know the author. Yep. And and I didn't know how to apply any of what I had memorized. And if your religion alone was enough to help you, you would have been I would have recovered. That's right. Right. And and so I think that that's when I see someone not recover a lot. Like your 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 answer was that you think it's like this God hang up. It's it's reliance on something outside of myself. And, and I go back to always the same thing. I spent my life getting what I needed, what I wanted, what I thought I deserved. Whatever it meant, stepping on toes, lying, cheating, whatever I had to do, I got it. Yeah. And suddenly I come into this fellowship that's like, cool, you need to rely on something else because you keep running into a wall over and over and you've destroyed your life. Yeah. And while I can completely agree that I've destroyed my life, I don't trust this outside power. Yeah. I think for me, it was like, I thought I knew best. Um, there's a part in our literature that talks about us trusting the God of our own mind, God of our reason, our oh, own yeah. intellect. And that's what I see over and over again, whether someone coming in is religious or atheist. Either way, they really think that they know what they need to do to stay sober. And I'm like, if you did, mm-hmm. you would have applied it and you wouldn't be sitting in front of me. Well, And one of my problems is that every time somebody in a meeting said God or a sponsor, or somebody said God, uh-huh. I automatically have this full-blown construct of what that looks like. There's a picture in my mind. You bristle with antagonism. Oh, hated it, right? And what happened over time is those beliefs and my grasp on those beliefs softened. Yeah. And I was starting to let go. And be willing to go, you know what, maybe I didn't know what in the heck I was talking about. And I was able to start letting that go and just be open yeah. to new ideas as they happen. And I think in, in a paradox way, that's exactly what happened with me, too. I realized that I had a lot of ideas, mm-hmm. faith in X, Y, Z. But I had to let go of, of this idea that I, I knew what I needed, what was going to fix me, what was going to be the solution, or even what it looked like to be connected to God. Because apparently I didn't. I just had a lot of ideas. <laughs> and when I got sober, I had run out of those. Yeah. I had run out of ideas on how to, to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. I had gone through the change of a brand. I had gone through this and this and this and this. Every which way that I thought I could stop drinking on my own, I come into the fellowship. And it's funny how many things I'll still hold on to, even though the reason I'm in the fellowship is that I have run my life completely into the ground. Into the ground. So my answer to my own question on what prevents someone from getting sober, uh, I would say self-centeredness, period. Um, I think the world is predominantly mega self-centered, whether they're drug addicts or not, alcoholics or not. You know what? That's true because in my first year, it's not like I was mega connected to God. Right, right. But what I did was sponsor the heck out of guys. I went out and got sponsy after sponsy after sponsy and got out of myself, and that gave God enough room to come in. And that's always the joke when people come over to our house. Um, We have a 12-step room, a sponsy room upstairs, Mm -hmm. and we share a calendar on our phones. And so that way he knows when you know when I need the room and I know mm-hmm. when you need the room. And, and there's been arguments over the room. There's been arguments over the room, but we double book. I'm doing a third step. Well, I'm doing a fifth step. <laughs> you can be at the kitchen table. I need to be <laughs> upstairs, you know. Um, but it's like people are like, why do you do it that much? 
And I just think because God knows that I need to help his kids a lot of the time because I'm that self-centered. Right. And that's kind of the fluffy kind answer. Like, (laughs) let's look at the real deal for me. Um, If I've got four to six guys in the book, along with my full-time job, along with my family and what I need to do for my family, I'm pretty busy. Yeah. And the less time I have sitting around thinking about what the world owes me, <laughs> right. the better off I am. Right. And so a lot of times I'm so happy, like, but I'm tired. When I go to bed at night, I'm tired. I want to lay it down. But I'm, I feel great because I haven't thought about what the world owes me all day. And that's the state that I lived in was self-pity. I was always done wrong. People didn't appreciate me. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The, the busier I am, I work full time. I got like four or five girls in the book. We have a home group. Uh, I'm getting my kid. We're doing the custody thing. Like we are busy. But I have less time to sit on the couch and obsess of what attention you're not giving me or what you didn't say to me or what the boss didn't praise me for or whatever. And I get to get outside of myself, my own head, my bad neighborhood of my mind. And when you start, it's sort of begrudgingly, right? Like I have to do this. And it gets to a point where you start to see the positive effects and you want to do it. Right. I always tell people, people say, how long do I have to do it? And I say, you have to do it until you get to do it. Absolutely. (laughs) We'll be right back after this quick break from Relevant Recovery Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Heather Mosier, uh, and this is my guest today, Donnie, my husband. Hello. Hello. Uh, We're just having fun, having a conversation about our lives in recovery and trying to give you a little window into our uh, controlled chaos. (laughs) It is that. (laughs) The insanity. But I want to ask you some questions so that way, because you're really good at explaining the words and stuff. (laughs) And so uh, we have all sorts of listeners in our audience. And so what advice would you give to a friend or a family member of someone, because we deal with a lot of families. So someone's struggling with alcoholism, someone's struggling with drug addiction, uh, and, and they don't know what to do or how to help, and they don't want to enable. What advice do you give someone? Uh, you get one chance to talk to them one time, uh, and you let them know and this is this is my theory, right? There's nothing, but I think as a family member, you let them know that, hey, I see what's going on. I love you. If you are having the problem it looks like you're having, I will help you find the resources. I'll help you in any way that I can. I don't judge you. I just want to help you. But that's it. When you're done, not only do you not talk about it again, but you get out of their way. Um, you get out of their way. You can pray a lot for their safety, but you, anything I do to try and quote fingers in the air, help Help someone could be delaying the inevitable. I I experience that a lot too with families that mean well. Mm -hmm. I think most people don't know the difference between helping or enabling. It's, and it's the hardest, the closer the family is. The closer you are, the harder it is. And, And I think that the quick cheat sheet on whether, which one it is, is if the active alcoholic or the active drug addict is happy with you, you are enabling them. Absolutely. And if they are upset and livid at you, you are helping them. <laughs> you know, and it goes back to this reliance on the spirit of the universe, God, higher power, whatever you want to call it, whatever you're comfortable with. But just like I trust that power to keep me safe and alive, I have to trust that that power is going to keep this family member safe and alive. Mm-hmm. And the harder I let this family member make it on themselves, the quicker they could come to the point where they've run out of options, the consequences have gotten too great, 
and they're ready to actually do something because they're in enough pain. Yeah. They always say that, that true spiritual growth comes from pain, right? And what I was taught early on when I'm, when I'm sponsoring and helping others, my first sponsor said, we are not there to lessen the misery of anyone's relapse. And our literature says the more hopeless they get, the better. Now, that is very yeah. hard and painful for us, someone who loves a family member, to watch them. But it's the best thing my dad did for me. He said, we're done with you. Do not call us. We will not feed you. We will not help you unless you want to go to treatment. That's the only time you call me. And I truly believe that the only reason, you know, by God's grace that I came into the fellowship and I just did what I was told is because my butt was kicked. Yeah. I, I had tried everything. Like I had, I was out of options and I would lay in bed at night thinking, you know what, if I die in my sleep, I'm okay. Yeah. And so I didn't have anything else except for what people suggested. So I want to spend some time talking about what is an alcoholic? What is the thing that makes someone an alcoholic or not? Because everybody everywhere is so confused and so opinionated. I would have said when I came in that it was the amount of times that I drove in a blackout. <laughs> yeah, an external reason. Uh, the fact that I, for some reason, at 300 pounds, decided to take my clothes off in bars all the time. External reason. It was really hot. Um, <laughs> my wives... We're tired of it. External reason. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I find. That's why I propose this question, because I work in a detox and I teach them what we know about alcoholism and what makes up. Because when I came in, I thought I could not be an alcoholic. I didn't drink every day. I couldn't be an alcoholic. I have a house and a family and I'm not under a bridge. And again, those are external reasons. Right. Whether or not someone drinks every day, whether or not someone has a DWI or, or 10 or not, whether or not someone has a house and two cars in the garage or not, all of that is external. And none of that, if it's external, has anything to do with whether or not someone's an alcoholic. So do you want to... Explain to our listeners what you believe makes someone an alcoholic. Well, I believe that, and you know, and, and this is a doctor's theory from the late '30s, uh, from some of the literature that we read. But you sort of have a you have a physical and a mental aspect. There's two aspects here, right? Mm -hmm. The physical is is that uh, let's take my old man. My old man comes home rough day at work. He drinks a Bloody Mary. Uh, he may, you know. May have a second. Mm -hmm. But when he starts to feel the effects, he's done. Yeah. He goes to bed, right? I come home in the same condition. I'm tired. I've had a long day. I've already texted the guys that I'm not going out to the bar. Right. I put drink number one in my body, and suddenly this craving kicks in, mm -hmm. and the allergic reaction for me, this allergy, this physical allergy, is that I want drink number two more than I want to drink number one. Right. And then I want drink number three more than I want to drink number two. And so this allergy just keeps this craving getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So the physical aspect is that when I put a drink or drug in my body, my body takes over from my mind and says, I want more. And I have little to no control over the amount I'm going to put when in. When that was explained to me, it explained, oh, my, my brain exploded with information because that is why I abused prescription medications. Right. Someone who doesn't have the allergic reaction, this phenomenon of craving, would never abuse or take a medication more than prescribed. Why did I take several different medications more than prescribed? I felt like I needed more. I craved more. I was allergic. And my body told me I needed more. My body more. told me, you need more. And in that moment, I absolutely believed my body. And my sponsor said, hey, any times in your life you intended to have one or two and had more? And I'm like, yeah, most of my life. Right. I, I got down with that right away. Me too. And you said there's a second. 
Well, it's this this mental aspect, right? And so if I only had the physical, mm-hmm. which I know people that only have the physical side of this, when they drink, they drink too much, but they may go forever without drinking. It's just right. not a problem for them. But if I could leave that alone and not pick up a drink, problem solved. I can go watch TV. Go on with your life. I don't need to be in a 12-step program. Here's the problem. No matter what the consequences, I can't stop picking up a drink. And so there's this mental obsession, Mm -hmm. this idea that I can control, that I can enjoy, and that I am going to be able to stop when I want, even though all of my history, all of the evidence shows that I cannot. Right. And that was mind-blowing to me to realize because society, there is a big debate in all of society, especially on social media or whatever, on whether or not addiction is a choice. Oh. Right? Everybody wants to share their two cents on their second, third cousin removes experience with, oh, they quit meth on their own, or they quit heroin or opiates on their own, or they just walked away from alcohol after one DWI. So it's absolutely a choice. And I'm like, you don't have all the facts. If I'm, If it was a choice, I wouldn't have sat in that bitter morass of self-pity. Right. I wouldn't have let the quicksand draw me in. I wouldn't have made enemies of family and friends and employers. I mean, I would not have done the things that I did because I was completely unhappy. And so for, for me, my understanding of alcoholism is not whether or not someone has a problem with drugs or alcohol. There's different people that have problems with drugs or alcohol. Um, but it's whether or not a person can manage the decision to leave it alone for good. Right. And this mental obsession is what keeps me from doing that. I can quit for periods of time. Periods of time, I yeah. did that. Anyone can stop, but can you stay stopped? That's the question. Or do I have an insane mind that gives me permission to pick it up again at some point in the future? And if that leaves any question, here's another thought. I know people that are what we deem what hard drinkers, right? Where the drink is the problem right. or the drug is the problem. Those people generally, when they're able to put it down for good, maybe through a detox like Matthew's Hope or whatever, they feel better. Mm -hmm. Like their life gets better. They put the drink or the drug down and things just get better. They're happy. They're they're stable. The problem with me, because I have this allergy and this obsession, is that when I put the drink or drug down, life gets Worse. worse. And that's what I always explain because my experience trying to be sober right, all the first many years, is it was too uncomfortable. Alcohol and drugs were my solution to how I felt sober. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me you're going to remove the only thing that makes me okay and comfortable in my own skin that helps me feel like I can function? I didn't want that. Which is why you and I were lucky that we had people around us that said, you need to work the steps quickly Mm -hmm. because we've just removed your solution. Right. And now I have no solution to how I feel. You're in white knuckle mode. Dry drunk. That's right. Right. This is untreated alcoholism. This is a, a dry drunk, someone who just isn't drinking. And thank God for people before us that mm-hmm. told us what, the solution. And we were able to, to work these steps, get connected to a power, and now we live our lives giving away what's been freely given to us. That's right. Together, separate. It's just the most blessed life. Absolutely. I'm just grateful for, for you, and I'm grateful that you've been on the show with me twice now. Uh, and I am grateful for Matthew's Hope, because we help a lot of people. So if, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction and you're curious, go to matthewshope.org, or you can call our admissions line, 844-AND-HOPE. That's 844-263-4673. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs>